0: listening to the Maritime Gardening Podcast, episode 119, brought to you by Vessi Seeds. Well, hey folks, it's the beginning of February 2022, and uh, I thought I'd do one of these uh, episodes today where I, or I do a deep dive on a question a viewer asked me. And, uh, you know, when, when people ask me questions, I, I get a little thing I write them on, right, a little whiteboard, uh, so I don't forget them. I used to write them, actually, I have a computer file where I have them all stored, but I'm not looking at it all the time. By having them on this whiteboard, they're sort of in my face uh, so so they don't go away. Anyway, this person asked me, uh, and I can't remember who it was, so so apologies for that. But the question was, uh, can you talk about your top five successes and failures? And I thought about that for a little bit, and I thought, well, who wants to listen to my, I mean, most of the time it's, you know, most of the time I get success. You really don't learn a lot from success. Um... So I thought maybe I'd just do a whole show (laughs) on failures, Uh, and uh, so not just failures, but what I learned from from failures. Okay, so and just just as I start here, you know, I want to talk for a split second about the concept of introspection. You know, uh, Webster's defines this as a, a process of examining your own thoughts and feelings. Uh, whether that's uh, self-examination, self-questioning, self-reflection, self-scrutiny, uh, self-criticism in the sense of critique, okay? So when this is done properly, it's it's a very useful tool. It has a positive effect on your life. Now, I'm not talking about dumping on yourself and kicking yourself when you're down and dwelling on your your shortcomings and your errors and, oh, I'm no good. Everything I do stinks. What's wrong with me? No, not that sort of thing. What I'm talking about is when you do something and it doesn't work. Whatever that is, you lose a job. you uh, re- re- An important relationship ends in your life. Uh, you lose a friend, whatever. Uh, sitting back and thinking, how did this happen? What, what did I do? What did I do wrong? I mean, sure, our knee-jerk reaction is, oh, it was everybody else. Right? It was that guy, you know, that's why the thing went wrong. Everybody's against me,, right? But uh, you know, you do have some agency in your life, right? So so sometimes it is sometimes things go wrong and it is everyone else's fault or forces beyond your control. And sometimes it's because you just didn't do something that would have had a completely different outcome, right? And introspection can allow you to, you know if you're if you're kind and gentle and forgiving with yourself, uh, introspection can help you uh, achieve growth by examining your your decisions and your choices and your you know uh, how you feel about things and and maybe making you know coming up with a better plan for whatever you're trying to do going forward. And in the garden, this is very important, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, because I mean, I've talked about this sort of thing before on the podcast. That gardening is a learning process, that you it's good to check your ego at the door. And whenever things go wrong, you should at the end of the garden season write down everything went wrong and why you think it went wrong. And then spend the majority of the, the off season, the winter, reading about it, thinking about it, coming up with a plan for next year. If you do that over and over and over again, you'll either figure out how to grow the thing you had trouble growing. Or just come to accept the fact that the thing you're trying to grow will not grow where you are. Knowing that you've tried everything to make it work. Okay. So that's the, that's where I'm coming from with this show and the different uh, successes and failures I'm going to talk about. Failure forces introspection. Introspection stimulates personal growth, right? Which means you're going to have more success in your garden. Okay, <laughs> so these are, are in no uh, particular order, okay, so I'm going to talk, I think, first about some very specific things and then maybe move on to some general things. Um, I keep notes every year on my garden and what I, what I think, what, what went wrong and why I think it went wrong and what I should do next year. I usually write it down, you know, sometime in the fall or whenever I get around to it, Okay. Um, and then I try those things the following year and then see what happens, right? That's how I've always worked my process. Um, so when I look back through all of those notes, one of the most common thing I notice in the note is peppers. Uh, there's always next year, try this with your peppers. Next year, try that with your peppers. Next year, try this with your, try this, try that. Every year, I just do not get the results uh, I want with peppers. Um. The only way I've seemed to have had any success in growing them is when I use uh, some sort of means to enhance the microclimate around them. Where I live, it's just not as sunny and as hot. It's, it's more sun, really. It's basically the quality of sun that I get where I live. And I don't mean Canada, I don't mean Nova Scotia. I mean where I live, in particular, in Nova Scotia. It's that specific. It's a foggy, overcast location to be and windy right so fog overcast wind none of these things are particularly good for peppers peppers like sun and heat they like a lot of sun and a lot of heat and this is just not one of the sunnier places it's not a growing zone you know as things go as a i used to live in a part of nova scotia which is just sunnier and more pleasant in the summer It just has a better growing it actually gets colder in the winter but in the summer, it's just got more sun and more heat, more sunny, shiny sun days sort of thing, right? Whereas here, here we have more f- foggy <laughs> days, overcast days. It's, uh, you know, it's February, early February as I'm recording this, and it's raining outside today, right? Uh, which happens here. And in a couple of days, it'll be minus 19 or something like that. But it's raining today, right? So weather here is just bizarre. Um, anyway, peppers are one thing that I, I basically... I've never had a year, where I am right now, where I've felt successful in growing peppers. I've grown them, I've had you know peppers that I can harvest and eat, but every time I grow peppers in my garden, I think, boy, I wish I'd grown something else in that spot. I would have got more of it. Um, it may be the case that, because my garden's so big, the peppers need an extreme amount of micromanagement. One one of the drawbacks of, of having a, a, a vegetable, fruit or whatever you want to call it, pepper, <laughs> in a garden is that it needs temperature management. You need to do whatever you can to raise the temperature around it. But on a day when it's really, really, really sunny, which we do get them once in a while, you can't have any of that microclimate. So you can have a pepper um, in a day in, in June, for instance. Okay, usually it's okay to have peppers planted out in June. Sometimes we still get frost in June, so it's iffy right there's years where if you were just planting it out uh you would lose them unless you planted them in like end of june right we still have frost in june sometimes it's really weird here Uh, so you plant them out in mid-june and you put them under a a dome or a hoop house or something like that Uh, now on a day where it's overcast that's a good thing to do on a day where it's really really sunny you could cook and kill them it could get so hot in there so it requires a lot of sort of micromanagement and it's the sort of thing I tend to, I don't like to have too many things to attend to. In the, I like to just sort of stick stuff in the ground and let it, let it go its own way and harvest it when it's ready. That's how I like to do my gardening. So it could just be that the effort required to grow peppers where I am in this particular location is just beyond my desire to do that kind of work for a particular thing. That's very possible. So I'm sure there's a way to do it and make it work. Um, uh, and maybe if I lived just a 20-minute drive inland, it would be a whole different story. I'm actually almost certain it would be. <laughs> the climates are that that variable when you're getting near the coast, the you know sort of open Atlantic coast of the ocean uh, where I am. Anyway, so peppers are one. And it may just be that I shouldn't bother growing them. Um, I like them a lot though, and I use them a lot in my cooking, right? They're sort of a key ingredient for a lot of things I like to make. Um, So I'm inclined to think that one of these years, I'm going to get the right variety. It's all going to come together for me. Uh, We'll see how that goes. Um, Another uh, epic fail uh, was, uh, and this happens from time to time, I'll plant carrots and they just won't germinate. I'll wait three, four weeks and they're just not there right? Um, every once in a while, I'll have to replant my carrots like two or three times. Last year was a perfect example. 2021 I had to replant my carrots a few times to get them. Um, and I think that's because I am planting carrots early in the season. And I'm putting plastic domes over them to to bring the soil temperature up so that they'll germinate. And there's particular days where it just gets too hot. And a carrot seed has a very sort of a particular band of temperature that seed needs to germinate if you go too hot it it kills the the whole process and basically you've killed the seed so uh i think i'm probably i would probably be better off is trying to try instead of trying to kick start my carrots just plant them when conditions seem right and just let them sort of go about their business naturally the carrots that I did get to grow eventually did fine and they get nice and big <laughs> so <laughs> there was really no need to do all that extra work so you know, my takeaway from with carrots is to, to stop freaking around with them and just uh you know plant them when they need to be planted and don't worry about it sort of thing plant them mid-may you know I like to try to plant them early April under plastic to get them going an extra month early so I can get them that much sooner but maybe mid-may is just uh, for where I am anyway at uh, a better time, you know. Generally speaking, they may. Um, another epic fail was there was a year, I think it was 2015, where we just had this insane winter here. We got big snowstorms in March, uh, really cold. Uh, just just a bizarre year, 2015. Uh, I remember the 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 ice on the lake behind my house was about four feet thick. There was four feet of snow everywhere. There's just just a bizarre year. I've never seen a year like that since here, right? That was a unique year. I think when I lived uh, another part of the province, we had a year like that as well. Maybe uh, 20, 2007. No, 2003 or 2004. Um, I know. Anyway, 2015, I think they called it Snowmageddon or something like that. <laughs> anyway, what happened is we, we had a very cold winter like we normally do. And then we had all the snow, so the ground froze. Right now, there's some snow on the ground, but just a few days ago, there wasn't, right? It really happened on the weekend. Uh, Usually what happens in this part of the province where I live is that it snows, and then it rains, and then it freezes, double digits below zero, freezing. And then it warms up, and it snows, and then it rains, and then it freezes. So the ground turns to ice. And it's not really the end of the world, because when... April rolls around, there's not a lot of snow around, so everything, just the ice gradually thaws all the way down. In that particular year, the, we had all this frozen, basically the ground was ice, and then we had a big layer of snow on top of it. So when it started getting sunny and, you know, longer days and all that sort of stuff in late March, the sun wasn't hitting the soil. There was this huge, thick layer of snow. So the ground took forever to thaw. And I'd never experienced a growing season like that before. And nothing seemed to want to grow in my garden. I mean, I just couldn't get anything to happen. And I think really, and I'd only been at this location for a few years, right? Uh, but the previous year I had a good garden. The year before that I had a good garden. So I was really bewildered. Uh, eventually, everything started to grow. But there was a period of about a month where I was like, what am I doing wrong? What? There must be some catastrophe my soil must have collapsed in some way. What did I do wrong? And I hadn't done anything wrong. It was just the, the ground was too cold for things to germinate. Or if something germinated, the ground was so cold, it just grew unbelievably slowly. So it appeared as though my soil was lacking nutrients, that it needed something. But it was just cold. <laughs> just, everything was cold. Even if you had stuff growing, like let's say the soil seemed thawed, there was like five inches of thaw, it'd be like ice for another couple feet down. That year, there was still ice in the ground at the end of May. Like if you tried to dig into the ground in certain spots, it would be ice, right? So I learned that year that, you know, the kind of winter you have can really affect the growing season you have in spring if the conditions were such that the ground is frozen and the ground hasn't got any heat. Right. So that year I learned about the importance of having a proper soil temperature, not just for germination, but if you're putting transplants in the ground, right? if you put a tomato in the ground and it's past the, you know, you basically no more risk of frost, but is the soil warm yet, right? You could be, there could be no risk of frost, but the soil is really, really cold. And you put that tomato in the ground and the, the roots just go like, oh, this is too cold, you know, and the, and the tomato's wrecked, you know, or it survives, but it's stunted and, and just not, you know, never achieves its full potential as, as a plant. Uh, so, yeah, soil temperature, you know, weird winters affect growing seasons. That's something that My whole garden was basically, uh, it seemed like the whole thing was a failure that year. Like I was really questioning my ability to do this. You know, and I've been gardening, you know, pretty seriously for a long time sort of thing. But that year it was really bad. And I just thought, man, and I just converted like prior to that, I think 2012 or 2013, I converted to no till. And so I was doubting that approach, but it was just everything was too cold. Um, potato scab. Uh, I love potatoes. I grow a lot of potatoes. I grow an inordinate number of potatoes and, and because we eat them. I've got one box of potatoes left from all the potatoes I grew last year, we're down to one box. Um, so, we enjoy eating them, they're a great thing to grow, they're easy to grow. But potato scab is something, uh, in my previous location, I never had a problem with potato scab. Never. And when I started gardening at this location, um, if I plant anything that's not resistant to scab, it gets it, gets it bad. And so there's some really, really delicious varieties of potato, like Aramosa, or the one called Superior, um, that um, it's just not worth it for me to plant those things in here. There's ways you can amend scab. um, But that problem just forced me to accept that there's certain things I just can't grow here. And I can only grow potatoes that are resistant to scab. I find the Russet, Russet Burbank, Kennebecs, sort of the best uh i grow norlands here they are scab resistant but they're not scab proof like the the kennebec the russet and the russet burbank are are scab proof they don't get scab right and there's other ones uh purple chieftain's another good example they're kind of scab resistant i grow them they might get a little bit of scab um not too bad right and there's all kinds of things you can do you can put all kinds of sulfur in the ground all that sort of stuff but for me it's just easier to plant things that don't have a scab problem. They're just sort of immune to it. Uh, but scab's uh, a failure I was forced to confront here. There are varieties of potato I just can't grow because they're, they have no natural resistance to scab. And, you know, I think it's a bacteria that causes that. It's in my soil. And sure, there's a pH that you can adjust the soil to, to de- you know, basically if the pH is really uh, low. Uh, if you increase the acidity of your soil, which is decreasing the pH, you you decrease the activity of that bacteria or its ability to affect potato. I don't want to go messing around with the acidity of the soil in my backyard. Um, and moreover, um, this part of the world soils tend to be acidic anyway. Uh, so you know it's they tend to be on the acidic side of things, right? So I wouldn't want to make them. Everything grows really well here. I just I don't so I wouldn't want to make things more acidic and, and risk that. Um, so it's better to just grow things that are resistant to scat. Uh Next thing is uh, the use of cold frames. Now you might say to me, like, what are you talking about? You've got cold frames everywhere. Uh, but what I'm talking about is, is permanent, immobile cold frames, the ones with the, you know, it's like a box with a lid that opens up, right? There was a real craze about these things in the early 2000s, very popular. Um, I actually found I didn't like them. Uh, it's not that I the thing, I grew things in them and I could get tomatoes going early. And I mean, they're, they're very functional in many, many ways, um, but they're relatively small. And uh, they can be useful as like transplanting incubators it might be useful to have like one in a garden. Um, but once plants get large, like in ter- like if I had a cold frame, they can't. They can only be so big because you have to be able to access them, right, to to manipulate the soil and to to weed and deal with problems and wh- whatever's going on in there, right? So usually the cold frame, you know, two feet by six feet wide, two feet from front to back, six feet wide is about as big as you go. You got to put a door on that thing to open and close it. Um, how much can you grow in something like that? When you consider the resources you have to allocate, allocate to make uh, a box like that with an opening door and all that sort of stuff. Um, and it really only has room for about like four kale plants or four tomato plants, right? Um, and there's only certain things you can grow in the cold frames because of things you just wouldn't grow in there. You can't just grow anything in them. So your your rotations don't make a lot of sense. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of useful as an incubator, I suppose, but functionally in the garden, I got away from them and I just use these sort of little domes and, you know, all the different things I use in my garden, little portable, movable, microclimate type things. Um, I just find that's better because I can put them wherever I want them. Any one of my gardens any year can be a cold frame if I want it to be. I prefer the versatility of that. And it's also cheaper because you don't need you know, to build this big box with all this stuff. It's just, it's a different sort of system. Not saying it can't work. It's just for what I do on the scale I'm doing it. It just wasn't practical for me. Um, so that's coal frames. Uh, cabbage <laughs> last year I grew cabbage and I mean, I got cabbage that I could harvest and use, but it was beset by pests on a scale like nothing I ever seen. Now. Was I regularly treating it with, uh, you know, like something like Safer's Endol, which is like an insecticidal soap sort of thing, or you know, various, uh, you know, BTK, a bacteria that that takes out slugs, uh, not slugs, but uh, caterpillars? And I wasn't, I didn't treat them with anything because in the previous year I didn't need to treat anything in my garden with anything. Uh, um, well, I didn't need BTK in my garden the previous year. I did need a little bit of slug and snail killer and I did need a little bit of insecticidal soap for a few problems, uh, 2020. But really I didn't have big pest problems and I noticed a lot of wasps in the garden. So I thought, ah, the wasps are taking care of my caterpillar problem, which they can do. Uh, I literally sit and watch plants with wasps flying in and flying away with caterpillars, hanging onto them in their teeth (laughs) sort of thing, right? So I, I thought I was just sort of over that problem. Uh, but I wasn't, uh, so, uh, I just watched my, you know, so much of the cabbage when I went to harvest them, I had to like get rid of almost half, of it, half of it because so much of the, the flesh was compromised by pests. Uh, so if I was going to grow, I'm just going to grow collards this, this year, 2022, because I find that I use them in much the same way. And for whatever reason, I find them more pest resistant in my location. Um, but if I were to grow cabbage again. I'd have to be more proactive, either using nets or something, right? I'd have to do something. I would have to manage the pest problem for the cabbage in some way. Cabbage aren't going to manage it for me, which is what I prefer. Uh, So really not worth my time in this location. Um, Another (laughs) epic fail I had one year. This is really when I first started gardening here, is I didn't have a fence. I had like a little chicken wire fence about two feet high. And uh, then one day I went out and like half my garden was gone. <laughs> and, I mean, most people that grow in locations where there's deer and things like that, they, they listen to all the, all the rubbish suggestions first. Oh, just pee around your garden. Put some of this, you know, put some lemon juice or whatever, you know, all these different things. People just sprinkle a little bit of this around this magic dust or that magic dust. Just do that. And the deer won't come around because they're scared of it. That's fences keep deer out. You know all this other stuff. Um, you'd be surprised what they can get over if they've got if there's a good meal, right? Uh, also, where I live, it rains all the time. You know, so even if it doesn't rain, there's like a light, you know, sort of dew. So, you know, if you if I if I were to do a urination line around the perimeter of my garden, i would be uh, 200 feet would be impressive in and of itself. Uh, I'd have to be doing that all the time. I'd have to do all my business out there <laughs> just to keep that going. And, of course, if it rained, the whole thing would be shut down, right? So it's just, it's just pointless, right? You need a fence. So I learned the hard way. Get a real fence around the garden and maintain that perimeter. Or you're not going to have a garden. There's no garden with no fence. That's just the way it is. Uh Apple tree. Uh, one of the. F- f- another failure is apple tree. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I had my apple trees tip over. Both of them, all of them tip over. And if you. Uh, regular guest I have on the show, Stefan Subkowiak, um, he's got great videos on choosing the location where you should plant an apple tree. And there's rules about. Uh, where, the, where the sort of water line is in the soil, like where the water tends to gather in the soil. And you don't want an apple tree in, in, in water. In, you do not want to plant an apple tree in soil that's overly watery. <laughs> that's the best way of putting it. And, uh, and that's the kind of soil I have. It's, it's just not where my garden is. It is not a good place for planting apple trees. Now I thought to myself, well, I mean, in nature, there's play, you know—the rules get broken all the time, and there—I'm sure there are wild apple trees growing in places where the soil conditions are such that it should, really shouldn't be planted there. And that is true, and probably one in a thousand of them grow grow well, and the other 99 in thousand uh, tip over like mine. <laughs> so you get really soft, soft, wet, wet, soggy soil, and you get a really, really windy day. And the roots get pulled right out of the the ground. That's what happened with basically all my apple trees. The only one that I've, my original apple trees that has survived is basically tipped over and I pruned it so it start growing back up again. (laughs) So it literally is tipped and it just kept going. All right, the next thing is not thinning. Uh, One of my epic fails every single season, it seems, is that there's something I don't thin that I wish I had thinned. Um, this is a, a, a really rookie uh, mistake to make where you just think more plants is better when every plant needs the space it needs to achieve its full potential, be its healthiest, grow as well as it can grow. Um, you know, there's different depending on your goals, there's different concentrations, densities that you can have with plants. But as a general rule spacing matters and you can get away with uh, closer spacing if you have rich soil and you're a home gardener I mean a lot of the spacing suggestions on seed packs are for like farms and agriculture and machines and and working so I mean you can you can break the rules a bit there's a limit to too much to how much you can break the rules when it comes to thinning and there's just there's a there's a there's a concentration of plants that just you know either it's 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 such a safe place for pests to be you can just have more pest damage than you should or if you got root vegetables They're pushing against each other and to some extent root vegetables can sort of jostle around and find their own space But there's a limit to that and of course There's only the Sun is up there and Everything else is below the Sun if you've got something casting shade on something else. It just can't do its best so you have to be You know judicious you have to be um, ruthless. <laughs> You've got to make the most of the vegetables so that they can have the space they need to, to grow, to achieve their full size, achieve their potential, all that sort of stuff. And if you, if you keep putting that off, you're, you're not working in the plant's best interest. And every year it seems like the time to thin the plants is when the black flies or the mosquitoes are sort of at their peak, <laughs> and I just reluctant to go out there and do it. Um, but there's workarounds for all these problems and, you know, uh, for me, really the, the, solution is to go outside at like five, six AM early in the morning before the flies are really active, black flies, especially, they really don't become active till like I'm, I'm, I'm scratching just thinking about it. Um, but they don't really, you know, this, the season when they're around sometime in May till sometime in June, July, um, they really don't show up until like eight or nine in the morning till it starts getting warm. So you have this great window of time you can go out early in the morning there's nothing around and then in july we switch over to mosquitoes which aren't such a big deal they can be heavy where i am but horse flies and deer flies are horrendous so there's this period early in the morning where i have to get out in the garden if to do anything especially like thinning where you you're bent over both your hands are are involved you really can't sort of swat you're you're stationary you're very stationary uh so uh That's really one of the things I tend to get wrong. I I just tend to not do it or just, you know, I'll be inside having my coffee. I should be out there right now, but I don't. I should be thinning. If you want to get good results, you need to thin. And I I always thin, I thin a lot of things, but I could always do better. (laughs) That's always the case. So thinning. And I guess this leads to the final topic and that is procrastination. Uh, one of the things I I get wrong every year is just putting things off and putting things off and putting things off. I think I'm better than most at not doing that in my garden, but there's always room for improvement. I always have regrets. I, you know, I talk about the introspection. Uh, I always, when I look back at my, when I look at my garden at various stages in the year, I said, I should have done that two weeks ago. I really should have done that two weeks ago, whatever it is, you know? Or there's something I should I should have thinned those. Look at the size of them. They could have been twice that size. Oh, I got a problem uh, with a pest now. I should have uh, dealt with that. I should have pruned that. I should have dealt with that thing two weeks ago. It's always two weeks ago. I should have done something. If I done, if I just and all these things I'm 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 not doing are things that take five or ten minutes to do. They're not like you know big elaborate complicated things. They're things that are very easy. They don't take a lot of time. It's, it's not a big uh, time commitment to do those things. So, I, you know, it's just one of those things you, you got to have a, you don't need a lot of discipline, but a degree, a smidgen of discipline to address those things that need to be done uh, for the better good of your of your garden. And, they, you know, you planted the garden with a goal in mind, and then midway through the season, you lose track of that goal and your your mind's just on that day and how you're feeling and whether you're tired or whatever. And uh, to the, you know, t- to however, to whatever extent it's possible, your ability to keep that goal in mind of, of the, the results so that you stay on top of things. You don't let things, sure, you can procrastinate a day or two. I mean, it should not feel... Like a job, like work, where there's all these things. There's a list of things you have to do, and you have to do them on time. Who wants that? I mean, your garden should be relaxing. But you still have some things you got to do. <laughs> you can put them off a day or two. I mean, you can't put them off indefinitely. So that's another thing I sort of I get wrong. A failure of mine is procrastination in the garden, always. Um, no matter how on top of things I am, I could be more on top of things, do a better job of it. So, uh, yeah, there's the list, I think that's, I think we got through with this 10 things that, uh, failure, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a strange word, but basically things that, things I got wrong that I look back and say, oh, I should have done that differently, and uh, things I learned from, uh, what's that term, teachable moment, that sort of thing, uh, th- things I wish I'd done a little bit differently, and had I done them differently, I think the outcomes would have been different. And things I try to remind myself to do a better job of in the coming year. So uh, that's the podcast for this uh, this month. I hope you found some some little useful bits in there and uh, <laughs> can give you a few things to chew on. If you like what I'm doing here and you want to help keep it going, check out my sponsor, uh, Vessi Seeds. If you want to help support the show and Vessi Seeds sell something that you need, buy it from them using my coupon code GAVS22. And you'll get uh, free shipping on, on your order as long as there's a pack of seeds in the order and there's not an oversized item in the order. You can check out the, the description uh, of this uh, the podcast, you know, the description box or the write-up. And the details are there. Um, but the coupon code is GAVS22. Anyway, I hope you found that interesting. And if you did, please uh, like, share, subscribe. And until next time, get out there, get at it, have fun in your garden. Watch it.